Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Our worldview completely changes when we get in sync with God's purpose. In this episode from Pastor Andrew, we find the truth in the red-letter words of Jesus. Let's start with our Gospel reading from Luke. The two commandments, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. This passage is found in both Matthew and Mark as well. The difference being is that when a teacher questions him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him what is written in the Lord, so he gets him to answer the question. Whereas I think in Mark and Matthew, Jesus answers the question. You think, okay, well, which is the real story? Did the teacher answer the question? Yeah, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc. Or did Jesus answer it? And over the years, just studying scholar after scholar after scholar, we have this modern approach to the Bible and to the New Testament. And some of the difficulties with having to grapple with the critical approach to those issues is that there are issues there. The Bible is not a perfectly written book. For instance, John's Gospel has the Passover on a different day to the other Gospels. So which one's right? They're not big issues. They're not like, you know, the whole nature of God is at stake. Or is Jesus really the Son of God? Those passages are fine. But it's this sense of wanting to pull apart the ingredients of the written word of God that we find in the Scriptures. And I always find this approach misses some points. For instance, scholars would tell us that Luke and Mark had a copy of Matthew's Gospel when they wrote their Gospels. Other scholars would tell us that Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark's Gospel when they wrote their Gospels. And the reason is the similarity of the stories, of the parables of the events of what they call the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark and Luke. Their outline and their progression of events are very similar to one another as compared to John, who's on a totally different page to everybody else. So this story of the Good Samaritan, which we have, which is in the three Gospels, has variations. Those who are pro-Matthew will say... Matthew wrote it, then Mark, oh, we just wanted to change a couple of details. Luke wanted to tidy it up a bit. 
But I have another theory. And that is that Jesus is an evangelist. Do you know what evangelists do? They move around. They go from one place to another. They go from one city to another city. They go from one country town to another country town. How do I know that? I was an evangelist. And there are times when I would have been preaching in seven different churches in seven different towns in the same week. And guess what? I would often preach the same sermon. Why not? They hadn't heard it before. How many of you heard me tell stories? How many of you heard me tell stories more than once? Okay, over 20 years, you're going to get it every now and again. And I believe that Jesus would bring up or aim to bring up or instigate the same teaching lessons in a multiple number of places. You see, in almost every community that Jesus went to, there are experts in the law, as we found here in this story in Luke. Pharisees who were trained in the law. There were lawyers and there were scribes, experts in the law. Almost in every community. So it's not an unusual thing for one of them to pop up and say something that leads into this particular parable, in this particular story. This one is the lawyer gets up and says, you know, what do we have to do to have eternal life? And as I said in the other Gospels, Jesus answers the question and tells the parable. In this one, he asks the lawyer to answer the question. Both Jesus and the lawyer came up with the same answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbour yourself. We've heard that passage so many times. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, rather than simply you shall love God? You ever thought of that? It's because he's Lord. We had that passage from Amos, where the interpretation is sovereign Lord, sovereign God. We have a sovereign God. We don't have an aloof God. We don't have a God who hangs out there somewhere beyond outer space and every now and again pops in to just have a look and see what's going on but doesn't interfere. And yet there are some scholars that tell us that's exactly what he does. That he made a sort of a clockwork universe. A universe that runs by natural laws, which he leaves alone. That he does not get involved and he does not interfere. That's not what the Bible tells us. In fact, the Bible tells us He certainly gets involved and he certainly interferes. 
You can't become the incarnate Son of God without some really deep interaction and interference in this world. So we have a God who gets involved in this world in a particular way. And he stands in the midst of that as the Lord God. Whether we acknowledge that or not, what we acknowledge about God is irrelevant to God in the sense that it doesn't affect his nature, it doesn't affect his being, it doesn't affect his authority, it doesn't affect the place that he should have in our lives. What we do with him does not affect who he is and why he is who he is and why Jesus and the Old Testament use the Lord your God is to make us aware that we can't take him for granted and we can't ignore him without it having some pretty intense effect on our life and on the lives of others around us. So I think that this passage that we have comes out of an ongoing process of evangelism that Jesus does from town to town. And I would wonder at times whether the disciples have heard these stories time and time again. They've been there in every instance, well, almost. And they've heard them time and time again. And I just wonder when the lawyer asks this question, whether they're nudging one another, is he going to go to the two commandments for this one? They were wanting to guess how Jesus just might respond to a particular question because they've heard the question before and they've heard the answers before. And if Jesus is doing this a number of times, then that certainly explains discrepancies between the different versions that we find in the different Gospels. I'm happy about us using a song called Red Letters because I believe Jesus spoke and taught the Red Letters that we have in our New Testament. There are discrepancies. But they're not huge discrepancies. So the book is something that we can trust. It is something that challenges us to the depths of our being. And I can be sure of this. There's something in the Bible you just don't agree with. Or you just don't like. What do you do with that? Many scholars will say the Bible's wrong. And if we're coming out of modern perspective, anything that indicates that God gets involved in this world is obviously wrong. Anything that indicates a supernatural aspect or a miracle is obviously wrong. And you've got a problem if that's the perspective you have because you're ripping stuff out of the book all over the place. And I remember in college going to a particular tutorial on theology. I was late. A conversation going on when I arrived was that Jesus did not do the miracles that we find in the New Testament. 
because miracles aren't real. And I said, I can understand why you don't believe in the miracles that Jesus did, because you don't believe in miracles. But I've seen miracles, and I have no trouble in believing that Jesus did these things. And over the years, you've got to contend with that critical aspect time and time again. And we are blessed in our latter days that there are critical scholars who are coming out and saying, history tells us, not the New Testament, not the Bible, but the external verification from Roman writers, from Gentile writers, that in his day, Jesus was known as a miracle worker. And he wouldn't be known like that in that context unless there was some substance to the fact that he did miracles. Now that doesn't prove that everything in the New Testament's right, but it gives us this sense that Jesus was doing something so distinctive that it impacted the imperial forces and their writers and their recorders as to just who this Jesus of Nazareth might be. And Jesus says you love your neighbour as yourself, not use your neighbour for your own benefits. And sometimes loving your neighbour for yourself means going out of your way to help your neighbour that's going to cost you. The priest, in the story of the man who had been robbed, crossed the street and walked by. Why? Because if he had gone over and touched the man, he would have been declared unclean by the law. And he had business to do, priestly business to do. And he couldn't compromise himself by helping this guy and therefore disabling himself from his priestly duties. So he crossed the street and walked past. Comes a Levite. Now what's a Levite? A lay minister of the Levite tribe. But they had duties around the synagogue and around the temple. And likewise, he crosses the road and walks past. And probably for the same reason the priest did it. You touch somebody who's dead. The guy was unconscious. He wasn't moving. He could have been dead. According to the Lord, you're unclean for a week. So he passes by. And then a Samaritan comes along who's not too worried about being clean or unclean or whatever and hasn't got any priestly or Levite duties to do. So he gets off his tongue, finds that he's alive, binds up his wounds and takes him into the inn and gets him looked after and leaves a bunch of money there and effectively said, you know, look after me. If it costs any more than this, I'll pay you when I come by next time. Now, I'm sure the Samaritan had plenty to do. 
that his heart reached out for this guy who had been robbed. All three of them were challenged with a cost. Only one took it. Now I can assure you that Jesus' hearers were not enjoying this parable. They were Jewish people. And you would think that a Samaritan of all foreigners would be the good guy is just absurd. Because Samaritans are such terrible people in the Jewish mind. So Jesus calls us to do two radical things. One is to love yourself. Right? Remember, Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. So it's not, my needs aren't important, I'm not important. In fact, it's the opposite of that. That you are important. You're extremely important. You are so important that Paul tells us at the end of these passages today from Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus came to rescue you and I from darkness, from the dominion of darkness. And if you'd have been the only person on the planet that was caught in that, he would have come for you. That means that every person you meet and I meet is a person Jesus would have come for if they are the only person on the planet. They are that important. You're important. And what Jesus wants to challenge you and I with is because you're so important, you need to make your neighbour as important as well. And you're going to have to pay a cost for that. This is not good news, this one. This is the challenge of the depths of our being. This is challenging us in the way in which it deals with our selfishness at an extreme point. Yes, you have to die yourself to fulfill this. But you die to yourself by understanding that to love yourself is also to love your neighbour as you love yourself. You don't love yourself, you can't help your neighbour. If you hate yourself, if you despise yourself, if you feel so inadequate, so unimportant, you actually have nothing to give to your neighbour. But if in your engagement with the Lord God Almighty, to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, that as he ministers into you a new understanding of yourself, a new appreciation of yourself as a new person in Christ, He's giving to you and I an ability to give something to our neighbours that they do not have. And it can only come out of our being one of those redeemed persons 
who have understood that Jesus came for me. He came to rescue me, and as Paul tells us, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. You know, there's one thing that we can acknowledge this morning. You're forgiven. And I'm forgiven. Why? Because we're in the kingdom of the Son. He rescued us to take us out of the dominion of darkness, out of the coercion of evil. That we could understand the light and the truth of God in such a way that we can then stand against evil in an effective way. And that we can bring the love of God to our neighbour who is someone who is absolutely in need of our help and the help of the living God. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would understand and see your truth, that we be committed to it in such a way that it transforms who we are and enables us to bring your love into the people who have been broken and beaten and desperately need someone to come to their aid. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.